Open up your Bibles, Mark chapter 8, Mark chapter 8. We're going to read two verses. Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. I want you in that previous verse, if you have your Bible, circle follow, circle save, and circle lose. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? I want to spend a few minutes talking about the interconnected relationship between three words in that passage, following, losing, and finding. Following, losing, and finding. There's like an interwoven relationship, Jesus says, between those. So Jesus' word for following, our word here at Eagle is called discipleship. When you link your life up with Jesus, you're invited into a relationship now that's going to continue for the rest of our lives, where you are becoming in character who you already are in identity. So when you become a follower of Jesus, just like that song was sung, right? He becomes our rescuer, our redeemer. He gives us a new heart, a new mind, a new spirit, a new purpose. He calls us to himself. And he sets things new in our heart. Your identity is forever changed in that moment. And now you're ushered into a lifestyle of changing. Changed and changing. Becoming in character in our everyday life who we already are in identity. Learning and growing how to live life as Jesus taught and modeled. How to represent him well and reflect him well in our everyday life. That's discipleship. And the language of Mark 8 gives us some terms for how Jesus describes that life. He says it's going to be about losing your life. It's going to be about denying yourself. It's going to be about taking up your cross. Do you see that language there? So the following ushers you in to this place of wholehearted relinquishment. There's this work of surrender, of laying down, of yielding our will to his Or in one sense, you could say of learning to bring God's life to our will, where our will discovers his life. There's this wholehearted relinquishment work that happens. Now stay with me. Here's the irony of Mark 8. Mark 8 says, Jesus is actually saying, can you imagine the crowd listening to this? He's saying, hey, in your losing, you actually find the life you've always wanted. Who else do you know says things like this? Only Jesus of Nazareth says stuff like this. Jesus says, if you'll come and lose your life, you're actually going to find what you've been looking for. If you'll lay yourself down, you'll actually discover what you've been longing to discover. If you'll relinquish your ways, if you'll loosen your grip, you'll discover the way, the truth, and the life. In your losing of yourself, there will be an opening up to your true self, which is hidden with Christ in God. Do you see this connection? In the following, 
ushers you into a losing, which leads you to the finding. Only Jesus would say these things. So here's Mark 8, where Jesus says, come, wholeheartedly give yourself to me. Come, link your life up with me. Loosen the grip on your ways, your plans, your dreams. Loosen the grip and then receive the life you've always wanted. This is Jesus' invitation for all of us today. This is the Mark 8 way. Following, losing, finding. And to help press this home this morning, we're going to have the privilege of hearing one man's journey through Mark 8. In a sense, his journey from the following to the losing to the finding. And as a means of introduction to our guests, take a look at this video. Remember New is a multinational organization with a presence in countries around the world. Our main strategy is to develop children's homes where we can take children that are at risk, place them in our home to protect them, and give them the highest level of education that they can achieve. When we go into a village in a foreign country and we start offering scholarships for the impoverished children that are at risk of the sex trade to come live in one of our homes, is that those villages stop selling their children. So literally, we're stopping child sex slavery one village at a time. To be most effective, we take a holistic approach, meeting the child's physical, educational, emotional, and spiritual needs. I love how Remember New breaks the cycle of poverty. This opportunity has been able to help provide for this child's future family, their children, their children's children. Because of New's prayer in the worst moment of her life, for God to use her to prevent children from entering the sex trade, many children have been made safe. And for me, the goal always has to be that no child would be sold into the sex trade. For us to do that, we need people that will sponsor our children and come and work with us to stop this atrocity. Because of Remember Nuhu and uh, all who support us, we are proud. If you not love kid, you not love God. So love kid and love God. So we say let love read. Well, Eagle Church, we'll put your hands together and welcome Carl Ralston to our stage this morning. Great to have you here, brother. Great to be here. I know you've got a long history with us here, but it's good to take a Sunday where we're just going to kind of step back and look at the story behind the story, Carl. I mean, that video is kind of towards the end of the story, but there's a backstory to how you got to that place. And I thought we'd just take some time and do a little bit of a, a dive into Mark 8 through your life. Because when I thought about that passage and was preparing for today, you were one of the people that just in my life I have seen live that out in a way that is very inspiring. And so thanks for being willing to share a bit with us. Can we start the story by just giving us a backdrop to your upbringing? 
Talk about the environment with which you were raised. I think most people's perception of you is you've always kind of lived on spiritual mountaintop ground, but that's not the case. So give a little family background, spiritual background for the crew to get some context. I'll give it to you in bullet points to save time, but my life in one way kind of started when I was 13. I was very close to my mom, didn't have a close relationship with my dad, and she died at age 35 of heart disease and diabetes. Uh, Two months later, the man across the street from me molested me, and so I was a very angry and hurt young man by the time I was 14 years old, turned to alcohol and a lot of other things that I shouldn't have, kind of lived my life that way, worked hard in high school, got a scholarship full ride to the University of Akron, but Two years later, I had failed out because my favorite class was the Sun Bar and Grill, which uh, did not help my GPA. Moved down to Texas, started working for a living, realized I did not want to do that. I was on a roof for a year and a half down there. Came back, got the opportunity to go into insurance, and really, by the time I was 27, kind of had the world in the palm of my hand in many ways. Uh, I was playing golf three or four days a week, had the red sports car, the house in the suburbs, the pretty young wife, the what would be now a $15,000 Rolex watch, but I realized I wasn't happy uh, after playing golf one day, literally looking at my watch because I thought that was going to make me happy. I said to God, if you're real, if you'll show me, I'll serve you, and I thought, if not, I'll worry about me because I didn't grow up in the church. Uh, My dad's side of the family was religious, and they had always said, you either believe the Bible or in evolution. And when I was a senior in high school in biology, they proved evolution for my mind. They didn't have the integrity to tell us it was theory. They told it to us as though it was facts. So I was an agnostic until that day in when I was 28 years old, sitting outside a golf course. And over the next two and a half years, I read stuff like Francis Schaeffer, C.S. Lewis, Josh McDowell, um, studied the Bible, studied Hinduism, evolution, the origin of man. And in that time, God clearly showed me I was real, or that he was real. And so I went to my mom's grave a month before I turned 30 and confessed my sins and asked Christ to be the Savior and Lord of my life. And my life changed pretty drastically. So at 30 years old, you have this 180-degree turn going on spiritually. You're leading a successful business, right? Here's a picture of you and Lori, your wife of 31 years, right? There's you and Lori in the, back in the insurance business days. You used to wear like a tie all the time, right? Uh, no, usually like this. Uh, that must have been like a banquet, banquet that I had to go to. <laughs> but successful insurance business, you were leading a company, married, like you said. It looked like kind of had the world by the tail at that point. But then, 30 years old, give your heart to Christ, start plugging into a church, start growing in your faith, and then someone taps you on the shoulder to go on a mission trip. So tell us about the trip you went on, and that became kind of the next major defining moment for Carl. In 2003, the Christian Missionary Alliance brought in 115 pastors and district superintendents from churches all around the world to Chiang Mai, Thailand, 
And they flew in missionaries in from all over Asia who put on two-hour seminars for us, telling us what God was doing in their area of the world. And the guy that was leading the trip was a friend of mine, and he had found out how excited I was about the trip. But I was just a lay leader, so I wasn't allowed to go on the trip. And two months before the trip, five of the people going on it had to cancel because they either couldn't get a passport or illnesses. And so he called me and four other lay leaders who got to fill in for them. And it was an amazing trip because they were coming in telling everything that God was doing. And what year are we talking about again? Remind us of the year. 2003. So 2003. November 2003. So you got on a plane to Chiang Mai. Yep. I had been a Christian for 12 years and was halfway through a seminary degree and thought I was going to be a volunteer administrative pastor. That's kind of the path I was headed on. And in the very last seminar, the guy started talking about child sex trafficking and showed a picture of a girl named Chup Lee who went in at 16 years old and then showed a picture of her three years later a few days before she died of AIDS and she was just a skeleton with skin stretched over it. And I had never heard of child sex trafficking. Then he put this picture of New up uh, with three got, other yeah. girls and she's the tallest of the girls there. And he started talking about how at seven years old, she started coming to the church in the school for Vietnamese refugees. And he talked about how she became a Christian, was baptized, started sharing her faith. And as he was doing this, I really related to her as my sister in Christ, really for the first time in my Christian walk. I'm an only child. And I thought, this is so cool. I live in Akron, Ohio. And 12 hours time zones away is this girl named New, and we're Christian brother and sister. And as he was speaking, and I was relating to her that way, he told how her grandmother didn't like the fact that she was a Christian and would beat her and not feed her the day she would go to church. And then he said that uh, while he was home on a medical furlough, that her grandmother carried out her threat and sold her to a brothel. And at that moment, I had been going through the dark night of the soul where it seems like God is silent in your life for 11 months. And God broke that silence with just two words he impressed upon my heart, remember new. And I just broke down crying and overwhelmed with the thought of what was happening to my sister in Christ. Um, so that was a pretty defining moment, moment for my life. So you're in this gathering in Thailand. The Lord speaks, remember, new to your heart. You have no idea the implications of what that is, right? You just right. you come back home to Akron, Ohio, to your business, to your life as it's been going. But you have this strong word from the Lord, remember new. I want you to, can you talk a little bit about when you think of Jesus in Mark 8, when you hear him say what he said there? You'll follow me. There's going to be a denying of yourself, a taking up your cross, a losing of yourself, and you'll, in that you'll find life. Can you drill down a little bit for us on this stage of your story? Because there's a, a lot of loosening the grip for Carl happening here. Yeah. A lot of relinquishing what Carl thought my life kind of going this way, and this becomes a way that God really helped loosen the grip on the steering wheel and say, what do you want? 
Yeah, when I came back, I knew that my life could not continue as it was. We were living on a third of our income, banking a third and giving a third away. Uh, we really had a very easy life. And I knew something had to change. I had to do something about this. And so one day when I was praying, about a week after I was back, I was on my knees praying, and uh, I just said, God, until the day I die, I will do everything I can to stop this. I didn't know what that meant, but I knew that I had to do something. And so after that, I started reading everything there was about this topic. Uh, my life really seemed meaningless, like Solomon says. And... Um, so I started focusing on what I could do. I started taking trips to try and find new and to learn what could be done to help the children. And long story short, within a few years, my wife and I sold our house. Uh, we had two businesses at the time. We sold them and we moved to Thailand um, to do this full time. So wait a minute, right there. So you, <laughs> can you picture this conversation going on here? So it comes back and eventually turns into selling business one, selling business two, packing up the house, selling the house, uprooting, planting yourself in Thailand, yep. right? Yep. And in that journey, there's this still this remember new, right? You keep going back to try to find new. Mm -hmm. Can you tell them a little bit about that and how many times you had to go back and a little bit about that part of the story? Yeah, uh, during this time, uh, I can only think of one reason still to this day why God spoke Remember New to my heart, and that is because I truly am the most stubborn person I know and probably any of you know. Um, and so as I was looking for new, I was praying for her, and a transition occurred. I was also praying Galatians 2.20 that I would be crucified with Christ, and as uh, we're looking at this passage that I would deny myself and take up my cross daily and follow Jesus. I prayed that every day and have for uh, 16 years. And as I was doing that, God made her my daughter in my heart. And I didn't know if I would ever find her. I ended up taking six trips looking for her, walking up and down the Tonle Sop and the Mekong River where most of the Vietnamese live with that picture that you saw, just asking people, do you know any of these girls? Do you know their families? Do you know how I can find them? And as I did that, and God made her my daughter in my heart, I would have never quit uh, looking for new. I would have done that till the day I died, because I knew God called me to the individual new, along with the uh, one million children this was happening to every year as well. So 03 is when you first, the Lord speaks to you, remember new, and you first meet new in what year? 2006, July. And I think we have a picture of that first meeting, right, of you and new together. This is in 06? Yeah, it's the same bad camera, like Eric looks a lot skinnier than me. <laughs> same thing with new in this picture. <laughs> um, but actually, if you really look at her eyes, uh, you can, I can see, and I think you can see, she was not happy. She did not like the fact that I knew her story. I looked like a lot of men who had abused her. And she later told me that uh, she told the lady she was with that 
she didn't trust me and wasn't interested in doing anything with us. Um, and you can kind of see that in her eyes in that picture. So Carl, talk a little bit about what's going on inside of you in this part of the story, right? There's a lot of the kind of loosening your grip, relinquishing control, saying, all right, Lord, I thought my life was going this way. It's clearly changing course, changing direction. What's happening inside of you? Because Jesus' claim is if we'll lose it for him, we'll actually find it. Yeah. So put your own words to that part of your story. I had just learned the meaning of Galatians 2.20 in January that year before I went on the missions trip. Uh, that, that mystery that we can give our life up and Christ will live through us. And I became desperate to have that happen. It's part of why I believe God let me go through the dark night of the soul that year. I was begging him to crucify every speck of me. I remember praying, God, if I could just sign a contract that I would be totally eliminated forever and that Jesus would live through me. That's what I wanted. And I still to, you know, pray that every day. I prayed it before I came up here that you would hear from Jesus and not from Carl Ralston. And so as I did that, uh, an amazing thing started to happen. And I saw glimpses of times where I believe Jesus was living through me and knew as a good example, when I met her, uh, I had a love for her that was different than any other love I had. And it was because it was Christ loving her through me. It took me a while to understand what was going on, but I have patience with her that I don't have with my other daughters or my son uh, or my wife or even myself. And I think it's because from day one, Jesus was loving new through me. So you eventually launch an organization, right, that we know around here so well as Remember New. You launched it. You opened up your first home. I think we have a picture of the first home in 07, right? Do we have mm -hmm. the years right? 2007, here's the home in Cambodia. Is yep. that correct? Yep, that's correct. So why don't you talk a little bit about what does this part, this step for you, this was a big moment, right, when you actually get to the place where you did some work to realize prevention was going to be the main way you were going to address this issue. If you're going to end child trafficking in the world, you said, we got to go on prevention route. Yep, new is the one on the red shirt or uh, jacket there. She helped us open that first home. After I had found her, she became our first employee. And when we opened that home, I would fly there, but I had to be back for work. I was still running our businesses. So I would give them a list of things to do, her and the house mother. And then I would leave and come back six weeks later and they would do the list. And so ironically, when the home actually opened, I had interviewed all of those girls to make sure that they were at risk of the sex trade, and they all were. Uh, but I wasn't there when the home actually opened. So when I came, I uh, came to see the home the first time. It was in January of 07, which is when it opened, about two weeks after it was opened. and. Those girls, when I met them, were scared to death because they didn't know if we, we were going to help them or not, and they wanted help. They were in the neighborhood where New was sold, and at the time, 77% of the girls were sold into the sex trade from that village. And so when I opened the door for the children's home, they were sitting in a horseshoe shape, and as I opened it, 
none of them had any English really, but they had practiced and said, thank you, Father Carl. And uh, I can instantly go back to that moment. And I took time and looked at every one of them in the eyes. And I know in my heart, they were telling me, thank you, we know you saved our lives. And so those girls have always been special in my heart. They were the first home, and if you're ever in sales, they tell you, remember your first sale and your last sale. Maybe not any of the ones in the middle, but I'll always remember those girls. And um, if I could bottle that and give it to each of you, you would quit your jobs no matter what you're doing and open children's homes because I knew that I was pleasing God and saving their lives. And recently, did you, do I have the story right that so it's 12 years later, you stayed in touch, right? These girls now are graduated and married, degrees, working. You want to say a couple things just about that original group? Yeah. Um, there were 15 of those girls. And um, over the years, they graduated our program. Uh, most of them got married by the time they were 19 years old. They get married very young in Cambodia. Half the people in the country are 18. And so for them, that's a pretty old age. And um, recently, within the last year, Lori and I went there and we kind of had a reunion with 12 of those 15 girls. And that's when the first time, and all of Remember knew, I saw it first full circle. 11 of the 12 were married with children they were all thriving. They had all been married 10 or 12 years, and none of them had gotten divorced. Most of them had children. They were happy. And uh, it was so neat when they would come in. Most of them would just start crying when they saw Lori and I because we hadn't seen them for about eight years. And life was going on for them. But you know, at the time, they didn't realize what we were doing for them as much as they did now. None of their children will ever go into the sex trade. No one in their family will. So I saw that Remember New had a lot bigger footprint than we ever thought. And today, Remember New's got 105 homes, 16 countries, around 2,000 children. Do I have those numbers right? Yep. So that's the footprint, how it spread out from that one... And Carl, I can't help but think about, I think you and Lori got a little preview of what in heaven you're going to spend a lot of time. I think Jesus sitting you down in front of one group after another. Can't you see that, gang? Like, Carl and Lori, look, this whole story changed, and they're going to tell you the ripple effect from when they entered into the home and they began to learn about Christ and have food and shelter and protection and given a vision for vocation. And then, uh, you know, like you said, you, you, know, you can't keep personal touch with all those thousands and thousands, but the ripple effect, I think, in eternity, you're going to see the full measure of it. Yep. So the perspective hearing your story now, I, the perception is that for Carl, since you went on this trip in 03, it's all just kind of gone like this, like, got the vision, direction, and just went, boom, straight like that. But that's not reality, right? There's been a lot of highs and lows and setbacks and ups and downs. Could you just 
give the group some insight into some of those real gut-wrenching moments on the journey? Because anyone here who stepped out in a similar manner, following Jesus, surrendering and relinquishing, finding their life, there's still this place where it gets really hard. Yeah. Yeah, there's going to be a picture up here. And I don't know, you might have noticed her. She was one of the 15 girls in that photograph we saw a few minutes ago. You want that picture up there? It's the one with the dominoes, David. And, uh, the next one with the, do- the stack of dominoes beside, I think, is the last one I had you insert. There it is. Yeah, this little girl's name is B, And you notice the birthmark on her chin. Well, in Cambodia, that's seen as the fact that you were bad in a past life. And so they mark you with that as a punishment that the gods do. And so whenever she would have her picture taken, she would either turn sideways or she would go like this or go like this. She would never let her birthmark be photographed. And God really put her on my heart. And so I worked with her and through translators, I would tell her, you're exactly how Jesus Christ wanted you to be created. Your father loves you. You're gorgeous to him. And uh, this picture is really special to me because you see how beaming she is. She's not covering her face. And her and Lori and I sat for like an hour and built that little Jenga table of all the dominoes in the house. And it was like the height of love for that little girl. And I think she's about 12 or 13 years old at that point. And so that was a highlight. Uh, Seeing that picture represented like two years of work to bring her out of her shell and let her know that she was loved and created perfectly by God. And the next trip I was on, one of the other girls came up to me. It was a holiday in Cambodia when I was there, so about half the girls were back home in their villages, and this girl said, hey, you know Bia's being sold, right? And I said, what are you talking about? And she said, her uncle is selling her because her mom and dad had died. She was an orphan. And uh, I said, no, I don't understand. And she said, he's selling her to men uh, for sex. And so I got the house mother and had the girl tell her in Vietnamese what was going on. And I said, call B and tell her that a team is here and we need her back right away. And so the mother, house mother got B on the phone in her village and said, hey, a team came in and they want to see you. Please come back now, early. And her uncle grabbed the phone and said she'll never be back. And uh, that's for sure one of the top three worst moments in all of Remember New for me because... I think that was among the biggest attacks by Satan against me as the founder because I had thrown my heart into her and loved her so much. She was special above the other 14 girls to me, and now Satan took her, and uh, there was nothing I could do at the time. I just, there was nothing I could do, and so that was definitely a pretty big setback. uh, Do you ever have contact with her again? No. Uh, New thinks that she actually got out of the sex trade and is married, but doesn't know it. It's like a rumor. Uh, She's going in October, and I'm asking her to try and find her. 
I just found out the last time New was there that someone had told her that B got married. So, but um, that's been 10 years ago. So, crushing would be the right word, right, for the yeah. heart. Those kinds of moments. Yeah. And how often is it that you felt like Carl Ralston's life's been in danger? I feel like when you're out doing this kind of work, I'm guessing there's quite a few folks who aren't interested in you doing the work. I remember asking Carl years ago, I said, hey, Carl, how many countries are you going to put these children's homes in? And he said, how many countries are selling kids in the world? Yeah. So, which United Nations says every nation is currently selling. So he said eventually. But, you know, it's a massive industry, right? And there's just there's major players involved who are wanting to see the trafficking industry flourish and then you're on the scene to shut it down. Yeah. You want to tell the group a story that I'm reminded of in India that happened to you where you just felt like the Lord stepped in? How many times he stepped in and like preserved your life, like literally protected you from what could have been an easy ending? Yeah, the first time I went to India, God really affirmed that he wanted to remember new there and to help. And it was a great trip, very emotionally draining trip. I had been in Cambodia and Myanmar right before that, so I was dead tired. And at the end of the trip, I was thrilled to death because I had this tiny hotel room and the air conditioner would blow at about 50 degrees. So the room was about 51 degrees when I went to sleep. And uh, very dark, big curtains right down to the air conditioner and covering the windows and I fell asleep and I had about 10 hours I could stay in bed before I had to fly out. And at 2 o'clock in the morning, about uh, 2 or 3, there was this huge crack. Uh, and I thought I was right at the road level, parking spot right next to my room. I thought someone hit the tree right near my room. And I instantly knew I was up for the day even though I could have slept till 7 a.m. And I was actually angry uh, because I was so exhausted. I didn't know if I could survive. And I, here I was awake. And then about a few seconds later, it looked like someone had walked in my room and took one of the Colt Stadium lights and had it about right here in front of my face. I mean, it, my whole room was lit up. And so I'm like, what Yahoo is doing this? So I opened my eyes, and to my left was an electrical outlet where the plug was for the air conditioner. And coming out of that plug was a lightning bolt that was about that big, and it was about an inch thick, and it was pure bright white. It's what we all envision Jesus is going to look like when he comes back, that bright, pure white light that is so brilliant. And what had happened is it's 220 electric and it had jumped out of the socket and it was this far from the curtains going up. And the night before when I went to bed, I had learned that the headboard had a switch on it that turned off the air conditioner. And so without even thinking, I hit that. And had I not done that, had I slept through that crack, I would definitely not be here. Being in insurance and uh, uh, Langebartle's the guy that's doing the guitar. He's a firefighter. He'll tell you in a small room like that, curtains from, you know, two foot off the ground up to the ceiling, I would have been dead in less than a few minutes. 
but I hit it off, and then I thought, okay, now if I tell them, they're going to make me pay for it, even though I didn't do it. It's just the way it works in a foreign country. So I thought, and I took all my stuff out to a taxi, and I went, I said, I'll go down, give them the keys, and say, hey, you should check out the air conditioner in room 27, uh, because I didn't want someone else to get hurt. And as I went to go down, I had to walk down half a flight of steps to the lobby, and there against the wall, this is like 4 or 5 a.m., is a Hindu priest, totally decked out like you would see in the movies with the robes, the beard, white beard down to here, staff, chalice, all this stuff. And as I walked down, as soon as he could see my feet, I think, he started praying and moving his staff toward me like this as I walked down. And I believe that he was there praying against me. And uh, as I got down to where I could see his eyes, I just thought, that's okay, my God wins. Because I do think that was an attempt on my life that God thwarted. And how many times, I mean, how about that story? It's crazy. Carl, like, that's like an every month thing for him. Like, wherever he goes in, right, there's people who are, you told me last night, you feel like when the enemy goes, tell me the percentage, like when the enemy goes, like, gives you an 80. On a scale of 1 to 100, if the enemy, like, say that was a 90 in an attack, God gives me a 91 or higher in blessing. I told Eric last night, what I hate is when God blesses me first. And then I know something's probably coming. <laughs> well, Carl, how about one final kind of closing challenge from you to the group? When you think about Mark 8, you think about your journey that you've been on, you think about the invitation to follow, I think about you standing by your mother's grave at 30 years old. You could have never imagined. No. And you saying yes to Jesus there, and then you saying yes to a crazy invitation to a mission trip to Thailand. And then you've just kept saying yes in the losing and then the finding the life. Just a closing challenge from you to the group. I learned about 18 months ago, uh, I was thinking about Remember New. I was on sabbatical, and I realized, wow, we've saved 2,000 children. That's amazing. And then I got really depressed because I believe God called me to end child sex trafficking, not affect it or do something. And so I realized we'll never end it the way we're going. And just about the same time, God gave me a vision for an accelerated vision of Remember New. Same vision of ending child sex slavery, but instead of us trying to do it by ourselves, if we could train others to start nonprofits to end child sex slavery, then we could end it. And it's my belief that if we can get, this is a big range, but I'm still working the details out, but if we could get 500 or so people who would start nonprofits, that we truly could effectively end child sex trafficking in our lifetime, it really became a big problem in a seven-year period. And so logic dictates that we could end it in a seven-year period or effectively end it. And so my challenge would be, we're starting to help others start nonprofits. We're going to give everything we have away as far as all the knowledge we have, our website, ways of doing things, things, lessons we've learned. We're going to train people. We're going to aid them. We're going to give them assistance. 
We're going to help them financially to launch them. And so my challenge is if God spoke a remember new to your heart today or you suspect that he is tugging your heart, would you contact me? Uh, maybe God's calling you to start one of the nonprofits. Maybe God's calling you to help financially to start one of them. I think we can launch them for about $50,000. Maybe God wants you to be part of their prayer team. Uh, I don't know what God's putting on your heart, but I would encourage you with all of my heart, if you have that quiet voice saying something to you, do something about it. Uh, if I was in insurance today, I'd be making at least a half a million a year. I wouldn't go to it for a billion a year. Just that thank you, Father Carl, made my life in business totally meaningless. That moment is more valuable than any money I've ever made in my life. So I would encourage you to answer yes to God. It's well worth it. Well, Carl, I know I speak on behalf of everybody. Thank you for thank saying you. yes. Uh, saying yes to Jesus consistently. Let's pray together. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you so much for the story, for the challenge. Uh, thank you for your heart, your heart for the child that was crying out when New was crying out in the darkest night. You heard her cry, and the answer to her prayer became a man and a family, Carl and Lori Ralston. Thank you that they continue to say yes to you. Thank you for their willingness to lay down their lives. And in the following and the losing, they have found the life they've always wanted. Immeasurably more than they could have ever asked, hoped, dreamed, or imagined. That's what's going on. And we pray your blessings over this man and his ministry. We pray your protection and covering over him. We think of that uh, hotel room in India. Lord, just continue. Place your guardian angels about him. Plead the blood of Jesus over his footsteps, his coming and going. Hem him in behind him before and may it be truly a testimony over and over again of greater is he that's in you and he that's in the world. It would just be a statement of your power and your glory and your goodness through this man. And we do collectively unite our hearts now and we pray, Lord, do whatever you need to do to end child sex trafficking in this world. Do it and use us however you want. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. One more round of applause for Carl. Well, we're going to wrap up with a final song here, and Carl's contact info is in your program. Those of you joining us online, your host can direct you there, but he's open to you contacting him directly that way. His email's there. He very much wants to be accessible, so send him a note. If it's a conversation you want to have, if it's a question you have, just a next step in your journey, and then, of course, at the end of the service, he's going to be out. We've got a table full of stuff out there that you can help support. Remember new, maybe you want to sponsor a child, you can do that. There'll be some of our Remember New leaders out there who've been a part of trips. Uh, maybe you want to be a part of a future trip. Uh, maybe you want to jump in, prayer support. Whatever it is, there's ways. And I think he brought some scarves from Thailand. Is that right? So it can help support some of the work the girls are doing um, by purchasing some of that stuff. So thanks for your engagement and involvement. When we think about this series, we're going to try to provide pathways to some of our strategic partners of how we become more engaged in what Jesus is doing in the world. So use that Connect card. If you'd like some follow-up information, you can use that, how we can be praying for you as a family as well. And then we're going to receive our tithes, our offerings, and this one final song, Stand Up With Us. If you're a guest here, you do not have to feel obligated to participate in the offering. It's our way as a church family of giving back to the Lord. So ushers, come forward as we wrap up.